Hi everyone, welcome to the Shaker Musings podcast with me, Phil Shaker. It's episode 105, it is the 2nd of November, and today we are thinking about whether it's the end of the West as we know it. So welcome to the podcast today, everyone. Um, riffing a little bit on uh, REM, and I'll, I'll mention that uh, again in a bit. But yes, today we are thinking about whether what we are facing is the end of the West. I've been thinking a lot, as you know, if you've been following the podcast over the last few weeks, about the situation that's been developing in uh, Israel and Palestine. And um, it's not something that I thought too much about before, but it does seem to me that what we are witnessing is... It's not just a you know a Middle Eastern thing, but it's actually a clash of uh, worldviews of, of civilizations, if you like, the Western civilization and you know perhaps Islam, Islamist kind of civilization, and, and so on. Um, so that's what we're going to be looking at a bit later in the podcast. Before we get going, um, there's just one thing I wanted to mention about YouTube. I know that um, quite a few of you don't uh, watch this on YouTube. That's fine if you listen to the audio podcast. In fact, that's maybe even a good thing. There's just something which I've noticed that's a bit strange is that I don't seem to be to get new subscribers. Um, and I've noticed this for a while now that I'll gain a new subscriber and then I'll lose one. And this seems to happen consistently. Now, I do appreciate that, you know, this isn't the kind of podcast that people might, you know, you might go onto YouTube and search it up and find it. I don't, you know, it's not that kind of thing necessarily. And I appreciate that it's not to everyone's taste and, and so on and so forth. Maybe a little bit niche. At the same time, it does seem a little bit strange that, you know, this this pattern of gaining someone new and then losing it, it, it just I just wonder if YouTube are playing funny games with uh, with my podcast uh, and I obviously we know that big tech do this you know big tech kind of have this thing of, of gaining subscribers losing them um, and uh, you know it's all a bit political and I have got a community strike on the channel for talking about covid vaccines um, so that may well be throttling, you know, throttling the channel. They may not be recommending it. They might be. I do wonder if they're sort of dropping people who haven't watched um, the the podcast in a while, you know, because they might not notice that they've been unsubscribed. So really, what I wanted to mention this for was, for one, just if you do watch this on YouTube, watch out. Secondly, if you're listening on the audio podcast. For some reason, audio podcasts seem to have kind of flown a bit below the radar of censorship. So it might be worth, if you if you are a YouTube watcher, to see if you can find it on the audio podcast as well and subscribe to it there, just you know, just in case. Thirdly, you may find it helpful to sign up on the mailing list on my website, where I, I post up um, post these up to the website, and you'll get an email when these are uploaded. Uh, so that's the the first thing, and also on Telegram as well. Um, if you use Telegram, uh, Telegram by the way is just like a communication app on your phone. You know, a bit like um, WhatsApp or Signal, but you know you can sort of get broadcasts. So I will put up on there that I've done a new podcast, and then you can get it on Telegram as well. And you can leave messages too. You can respond and have have discussion there. Um, so I'm what I'm. I suppose what I'm saying is that it does seem a you know like this channel. On YouTube has come in for some kind of censorship. It seems likely to me. So you might like to to find other ways of just making sure you have access to it if if it means something to you. And obviously, you know that that they can't stop sharing. And if there are people in your life, uh, your friends, family members who you think would appreciate this, then please do share as well. Uh, because uh, you know, well, for one. Um, it just helps to get the word out, and uh, also it's it's beneficial for me too, you know. So it's a win-win. Um, there are other ways of supporting the podcast as well. Um, do give me a like if you're on YouTube, as that does I think that will make a difference in the algorithm. Also, if you're on the podcast, the audio podcast, then you can leave me a rating and a review. I know that you can do that in Apple Podcasts. I think you can do that in Google Podcasts too. Wherever you're listening, I'm sure that um, you know that that's possible too. 
Um, and there's also a buy me a coffee link. And I'd just like to say thanks so much to everyone who has left me kind messages in this last week. Uh, I really do appreciate it all. And I try and say, you know, a, a personal thank you to everyone who, who leaves a message. But uh, thank you again. Um, right. And speaking of audience uh, audience engagement, there is just one thing which I'd like to, to, to bring up from last week. So you remember last week I was talking about the there was an article uh, linking um, Ukraine and Israel, not linking, but comparing Ukraine and, and Russia with Israel and Palestine and was saying how the West had responded very differently in one to the other. And I'd just like to mention what um, Proudhon 100 says. Um, Proudhon, a uh, long-time listener uh, of the podcast and a uh, frequent commenter and, and what have you. Thank you for that, for all of that. I'd do. I, I just like to say, you know, I do appreciate all of the comments and everything. And I'm sorry I don't always reply or engage. Um, but I, I thought this was, uh, you know, um, just because... Um, uh, just because of that, I, I wanted to mention this particular comment. So... Um, yeah, this is what he says. Noah Karl is wrong about Russia's allegedly illegal actions in Ukraine. In 2014, the Kiev government, installed in a US-NATO coup, began passing discriminatory laws against Russian speakers who made up more than half the population of the 1991 borders, uh, Ukraine. Crimea, which was only Ukrainian by accident, Khrushchev signed it over in 1954, even though it had been Russian, since before the founding of the United States, decided to break away after a referendum, which was observed by international observers and deemed to be fair. International law states that peoples have the right to self-determination, affirmed by the World Court in the case of Kosovo. Two Ukrainian oblasts, Lugansk and Donetsk, broke away because of the anti-Russian persecution and the Kiev regime attacked and bombed them, a war crime. 14,000 died to the 24th of Feb 2022, the date at which Russia intervened, not in the Ukraine, but in the independent republics of Lugansk and Donetsk. They intervened also in Kherson and Zaporozhye oblasts and held referendums there on joining the Russian Federation. Peace agreements were signed between Kiev, Moscow, Berlin and Paris, the Minsk Accords. These basically required Kiev to grant the measure of self-government to Lugansk and Donetsk, but the agreements were never implemented. Last year, Angela Merkel, Francois Hollande and Petro Poroshenko admitted they only signed as a ruse to give Ukraine time to build up its army. Russia does not now trust the West at all and all nuclear arms treaties now abrogated or in abeyance. Um, now, I thought that was that was helpful and just gives a bit more historical context. Obviously, the, the historical context of the Ukraine and Russia is a complicated one. Uh, and, and I suppose you could say Israel and Palestine also, but if you know that that all of that being what it is, it makes the West even worse, doesn't it? You know the way that the West has entirely sided in one side with with Ukraine and acted very unethically, and you know the way that it's acting in in Israel is completely uh, completely different. So you know, it, it, again, it's it's sort of one rule for one rule for us when it's convenient, another rule when it's when it's convenient. There's no such thing as law or behaving rightly or morally, it, it seems, in the Western world when it comes to foreign policy, and I just think that's that's where we are. Okay, so let's. Uh, thanks for the comments, by the way. Do keep them coming. Let's move on to thinking about some news or, or things that I've seen in this last week. First thing is an article on Forbes called Climate Change Hurts the Poor, but Not the Way You Think It Does. This is by someone called Tilak Doshi, um, and it was published on October the 26th. And just to say, I'll put the links down below. But I thought this was a really good article looking at um, climate change and looking at, you know, particularly the way that the Western governments are, that the policies are actually harming the developing world and he focused on on Africa and let me just read a little paragraph to you just to give you a flavor by describing weather as climate change policy emphasis is put on mitigation rather than adaptation to reduce the impacts of future climate change on human welfare 
The implicit assumption behind mitigation is that greenhouse gases are the primary driver of climate change and trying to fight climate change by reducing GHGs should be the overriding priority for policymakers from Germany to South Africa. Governments should shun using fossil fuels and multilateral development agencies, including the World Bank, have long since stopped supporting investments in fossil fuel projects in developing countries. Now, I thought this was helpful because he looks at how I think there's a huge amount of deforestation happening in Africa because people are chopping wood down to burn because that's all that they have available to, you know, for heating and for cooking and, and so on and so forth. They don't have reliable electricity. So rather than investing in fossil fuels, all of this deforestation is going on. And and do, do people have any idea what these green, so-called green policies are doing in Africa and in other places? And how, you know, I think he talked about how in Africa... Uh, there is a far higher percentage of people way below the poverty line than there are there is sort of in a global average. So there are still a lot of people living in poverty in Africa, still millions of people. So why are we taking them away from fossil fuels and taking them away from development? You know, it, it's just again, it, it's like this this green agenda just takes over everything, including logical and compassionate thinking. You know, there's no logic, there's no compassion, really. It's just, no, everything has to be green, and it has to be green in the way that we say it is. Um, so that's a helpful article, I thought. Um, the next thing I wanted to mention was Neil Oliver. You know that I'm a, a fan of Neil Oliver, and I like his, uh, his monologues on GB News. And he did a monologue on GB News, um, this was a few days ago, but it was after the announcement that Boris Johnson had been appointed, had been um, given a position at GB News. And Neil Oliver, uh, yeah, I thought his monologue was, I mean, cutting, but rightly um, sort of cutting. He didn't mention Boris Johnson by name, but he just talked about um, political leaders who just kept on doing bad things and were unaccountable, you know, that they, something that he said which really struck home with me was, you know, the wages of sin come in seven figures, maybe even eight. And I thought that was, you know, very insightful, actually. Of course, we know that uh, the, that's not what the wages of sin are. And we know that there will be, a, um, you know, even not, if not in this life, in eternal life, there will be an accounting uh, for these things. Um, but yeah, I think Neil Oliver is someone who has a moral compass and he, he he's really, you know, the, the, I think that, that lack of accountability is key, isn't it? You know, how can we expect our politicians and civil servants and so on to carry on, to, to sort of do what's right and good if when they do what's bad, they just get rewarded for it? You know, that people just brush it under the carpet and they, they you know, um, they're just allowed to carry on. It's that's the kind of world that we are living in, unfortunately. Um, OK, Constantine Kissin. Next thing, Constantine Kissin did a another monologue, um, uh, you know, Constantine from the um, Trigonometry podcast. But uh, it's called The Day the Delusions Died. And he's talking about the Western world and the response to what's been happening in Israel and Palestine. And he's talking about multiculturalism. And how, you know, that the, the, at the end of the day, what's happened over the last few weeks has totally blown apart the delusions that our politicians have been t telling us over the last, you know, 20 or 30 years about multiculturalism. And that, in fact, actually, I think Keir Starmer was even saying how multiculturalism had been a success. And if you look at what's happening on the streets of London, you know, all of these rallies which are and it's not just about the the situation in palestine but they do seem to be you know really anti-semitic wanting the elimination of the jews some of them and you know that like in sydney they were calling for gas the jews they were calling for um you know the leader of hamas to come and, and wipe them out and, and so on and so forth so you know we are we are witnessing a clash of, of civilizations but it's not 
I think he makes the point it's not just the barbarians at the gates, but they're in the door. That's that's the thing. Um, so yeah, uh, I think that that was a helpful that was a helpful piece to camera as well. The day the day the illusions died, it's called. Okay, there's three more things I've got about COVID. So I'll just briefly mention this one. This is from Panda on the Panda uh, Substack Panda Uncut by Nick Hudson. It's an address he he gave. Um, to the Jubilee Convention of the Actuarial Society of South Africa on the 11th of October. Uh, but it's a lot of statistics about, uh, you know, he included a lot of statistics and kind of graphs and things about what was happening in uh, over the last few years, what's happened over the last few years. And uh, you might find that helpful. Um, he's got a, a good way of kind of putting things in a, um, a way that, we, you know, people can understand. Um, so you might like to have a look at that if you haven't seen it. Um, and I mean, I haven't read the the whole or listened to the whole speech. I've just you know looked at the the, the graphs and the pieces. But yes, they, and he looks at the the vaccine as well. Um, so yes, you might like to have a look at that. Uh, moving to another Substack, just a couple more actually on on Substack as well. So this is from someone called Ark Medic, Doctor Arkhan Said, um, and this is saying. Um, it's called genetically modified organons the subtitle is they lied they know they lied and now they know that we know they lied and he's talking about the way that the vaccines are not vaccine in the traditional sense but genetically modifying um the sort of gene therapy is is the the, the word and this has kind of been admitted by Pfizer, it's in their documentation, it's been admitted by the authorities. So why does it matter? Let me just quote you a bit from his article as well. It matters because the administration of a product that was not what it was sold as to a population that is now running a 15% excess death rate as a result of something that happened in 21 to 22 is fraud. And fraud vitiates everything. It vitiates the contractual indemnities provided to and by the government. Because if the government intentionally hid pertinent information in order to persuade the population to take something that they wouldn't have taken if that information was available, that is fraud. And when applied to violation of bodily integrity, that becomes an assault. I think this is, um, again, really helpful. Just saying that now, what's been perpetrated over the last few years is fraud because it it has been mis misselling what um, you know the truth. It, it, it's been telling a lie. You know we've been people have been persuaded to take COVID vaccines and even coerced into taking vaccines uh, on the basis of something that's not true. And John Campbell actually did a did a video about you know the the Pfizer. Uh, the, the the manufacturing process. I think that I mentioned this on the podcast a few weeks ago, that the manufacturing process that was used for the clinical trials was not the same as the manufacturing process that was used for the distribution more widely of the vaccine. And again, we were not told that. And John Campbell said, you know, again, well, it, it's basically fraud, isn't it? You know, you are saying, well, we, we tested one thing, but we're giving you another thing, but not telling you that. Um, so yeah, do have a look at that. And the last thing, briefly, on Hart's Substack, this is uh, anything but the jabs, <laughs> and it's just a, a little, a short video, a minute and a half video compilation of all of the newspaper headlines over the last few years, basically um, saying that heart, you know, cardiac arrests and heart problems are down to just about anything, including too much sleep or too little sleep or the clock's changing <coughs> or what have you. you know, just about anything except the elephant in the room. And that's what they finish with, you know, the elephant in the room. So I thought that was just a short but, you know, humorous um, way of, of looking at it. And I think sometimes the humour is the, the best, you know, the, the best way of looking at something, isn't it? It gets the point across. So, yeah, do have a little look at that if you haven't seen that already. 
So let me know if there's anything that uh, you have to add, anything that you've seen which is useful, um, which you'd like us to, to think about or, or what have you, anything you've got to share. But I'm going to move on now to the main topic, thinking about the end of the West. So I call this the end. It's the end of the West as we know it. And uh, yes, those of you who know the song, it is riffing on REM. Uh, that their song, it's the end of the world as we know it. And it, that the subtitle there is a uh, and I feel fine. And to be honest with you, I'm not sure whether I feel fine about the end of the Western world. In fact, in fact, quite the opposite really. I feel quite sad and you know. To, to some extent quite anxious about the end of the Western world. Uh, I'm sure most of us have similar feelings. Um, but yeah, it does seem to me that that's what we are uh, witnessing. So just by way of introduction, I'd like to play you a clip here from John Anderson. This is a little, just a short one minute clip um, where he, he uses a joke but makes quite a, quite a serious point. Two Aussie diggers servicemen for those of you who are not Australian, but most of you are, so. <laughs> when they dock in Plymouth and the, being Australians, just relieved to be alive. They head deep into the city, they find a pub, they get themselves written off. At 10 o'clock, they're thrown out on the street. It's closing time and Bert looks at Wally and says, uh, mate, uh, we got a problem. We don't know where we are. And Wally says, this bloke walking down the street, he'll be able to help us. And it's an admiral of the British fleet and he's covered in golden medals. Hey, mate, uh, we're lost, uh, where are we? I say, do you chaps know who I am? And one Australian looks at the other and says, and now we're in real trouble. We don't know where we are, and he doesn't know who he is. <laughs> and that's our culture today. We don't know where we've come from. Yeah. We don't know where we are. We don't know how to find our way back to the ship. And so I think that John Anderson is really onto something there. You know, that we don't know who we are, we don't know where we are, we don't know where we've come from, and we don't know where we're going. That is Western civilization in a nutshell, isn't it? And I think what's been happening in, in Israel and Palestine has actually shown shown that up. I think it's interesting looking at looking at Israel, because I, I wonder if it's it seems to me it's like the West in microcosm. You know, it's it's like a small, a small version of the bigger, uh, the bigger picture. You know that that it actually is very revealing. Um, and I do think that this fault line running through the Middle East does highlight the division in society that we've seen. You know, the the, the division in the world. So uh, there is the division in the Western world between the Western world and Islam. Um, and you could add to that other authoritarian sort of regimes. Um, but, you know, so we've got that, that natural tension there. There's Israel, which kind of represents the Western world. And then you've got, you know, the um, Hamas, who represent the Islamists. And it's interesting that that's been one of the biggest tensions over the last you know, 20 years. I mean, you think about the war on terror, uh, for example. But also... It does seem to highlight the the pro-Western people and the you know the inverted commas woke anti-Western people. Now you think about Douglas Murray's book, The War on the West. How his argument is that what is happening across our institutions is really an attack on the Western world, and I think that's what's going on with the the way that the the left or the woke however you want to define it, are so pro-Palestine and anti-Israel. And I think the reason is, I mean, many people have pointed out that there are double standards because there are all sorts of occupations happening across the world. There are all sorts of wars happening across the world. But the left don't care about those. You know, they only care about Israel by and large. And I think the reason is that's because they hate the West and they therefore hate Israel. And I, I I, think there is actually something to be said for that. You know, I, I, I may have said this last week, but I think, you know, when it comes to the situation in Israel and Palestine, I do find myself having sympathies with 
uh, with the, the lefties, if you like. Uh, that Not with Hamas at all, because I do think Hamas are a terrorist organisation. But I think, you know, that the left do have a point. And we don't do ourselves any favours by putting our fingers in our ears and saying, la, 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 you know, not listening um, about something like this. So what I wanted to do is look at the history of, of Israel. I've been reading this book. Um, it's called Allies for Armageddon by Victoria Clark. And she looks at the history of Christian Zionism and how we've got to where we are. And I haven't, uh, I've just got to the point actually, we've reached 1948 in the book. But I'd just like to quote, to sort of um, share some of the things that I've learnt uh, from that about the history of Christian Zionism. One of the things, and this is something that I've come across in, come across myself actually, I came across it a bit at Theological College, was something called dispensationalism. Now, dispensationalism, you may not have heard of this if you're not in sort of theological circles, as it were. Um, I only heard about it when I went to theological college. But it's kind of quite big in America, historically, perhaps more in the 20th century than it is now, sort of 19th and 20th century. But there were some quite big Bible institutes teaching this. And one of the things about dispensationalism, it's got quite an, what I would call, esoteric view of biblical prophecy when it comes to Israel. They seem to believe that the land of Israel needs to be restored to the Jewish people, and this will then inaugurate the second coming of Christ. So that in order for Christ to return, the land needs to belong to the people of Israel. And some people even believe that the temple needs to be rebuilt before Christ will return. And all of this is based on their reading of, mainly their reading of the Old Testament. And they believe, you know, because you know that Armageddon is mentioned in the Bible uh, in Revelation, I think, chapter 16. Armageddon is a real place in um, in the Middle East, and they believe there's going to be a big battle there. And there's also some funny beliefs, like they believe um, the Jews will convert, but a third of them will be wiped out. And, and so, so it's, it's got some really odd beliefs. It's kind of a mix of you know, revelation and other kind of prophecies in, in the Old Testament. And uh, I mean, it really is quite a strange um, belief system, if you look into it. And, and I would say as someone who has looked into these things and studied these things, I would say dispensationalism is pretty much discredited from a biblical studies point of view. That it just doesn't make sense. You know, it doesn't make sense of the big picture of the Bible. You know, it seems to treat the Bible and biblical prophecy as a kind of code to be deciphered rather than, you know, in its kind of grammatical and historical context. And uh, we don't have the time to go into all of the ins and outs of dispensationalism now. But I, I thought this quote here from the, from the book from Victoria Clark was was quite uh, quite helpful and puts things into perspective. When many Jews complain that Christian Zionists do not care for Jews as fellow human beings, but only as puppets in their gory Christian apocalypse story, this is what they are referring to. How can Christian Zionists be true, reliable friends of Jews and Israel, they wonder, when so many of them are expecting a world conflagration and a rerun of the Holocaust on their territory? And she's right, isn't she? And, and those Jews who worry about this are right. You know, that if, if the Westerners who support the state of Israel do so because they believe it is leading to the second coming of Christ, then that's not really supporting Israel. Another thing which um, which Christian Zionism does is it takes Genesis chapter 12 when God says to Abraham, whoever blesses you, I will bless and whoever curses you, I will bless, I will curse and says, um, therefore, we have to bless Israel. Um, and we'll, we'll get round to that actually a bit later on. But, you know, it's this sort of unthinking, almost, you know, uh, 
I, I don't I don't know how to describe it. It's just a very, very weird view of the Bible and a weird view of prophecies. And it seems quite alien to me as a as a, a Christian that you know we should be thinking about the Bible like that. And it you know the the, the phrase which has struck me as I've been thinking about this kind of Christian Zionism and the, the creation of Israel, it does seem a bit like a Western vanity project. No, it seems like that that uh, Israel as a as a nation state, certainly from the Christian Zionist perspective. I mean, I think there are other perspectives, but just thinking about it from this Christian Zionist perspective, is a bit like a kind of luxury belief that you know. Yes, it's it's okay to you know you you might want the the nation state of Israel to exist, but it's only because you think it will inaugurate the second coming of Christ. And it's it's all very well for you to say that in America or in Britain, but you don't have to be the one who initiates the Third World War and, you know, who gets wiped out but through, through another Holocaust. Do, do you know what I mean? It's it's this really odd view that is caring, supposedly caring for the Jews, well, really caring about yourself and caring about what you believe is biblical prophecy. Um, it's it's such a weird, uh, such a weird thing. Um, I may come back to Christian Zionism on the podcast at some point because I think there's there's more to be said. But let's move on for the moment. Another thing which I've learned about uh, about Israel over the last few uh, couple of weeks, something which I didn't realise. Thinking, think about it this way: Are Jews defined ethnically or religiously? Are Jews defined ethnically or religiously? And I think that's a really key question. And it's not one which I think the the nation state of Israel have come to a clear answer to. So let me just quote you from Wikipedia here about who can who can become an Israeli citizen. This is what, what they say. Per clause one of the law of return, all Jews are able to become citizens of Israel no matter where they were born, with the exception of those who converted to another religion of their own free will. So you can become a citizen of Israel if you're Jewish by descent or if you if you convert. But you can't become a, a, um, a citizen of Israel if you've converted to another religion. So there was, I found a story, I didn't include it on here, but there was a testimony of a woman, I think from Sweden, who was a Messianic Jew, basically a Jewish Christian, who uh, moved to Israel but then was deported because you can't be a Messianic Jew in Israel. You're not allowed. That's, you know, you're the wrong kind of Jew, if you like. So being Jewish is seemingly defined then as a kind of a, a faith thing but you can be an atheist and move to israel so it doesn't matter if you don't believe in god that's fine you just can't be a christian or someone from another religion does that does that add up to you at all because i i didn't realize this at all over you know before the last couple of weeks i didn't realize but that that's where they are that you know you can be in you can not believe in god and move to Israel, but you can't be a Christian and Jewish and move to Israel. That's really, really strange, isn't it? So it's kind of it's it's this hybrid of believing that the Jews are ethnically Jewish, and uh, but, but also there's the faith element. And you know which which do you take? You know how can you how can it be the faith element if you don't believe in God, and yet it's it's really strange further to this you can't move to israel if you're not jewish so let me quote you here from the uh, the israeli law office there is nothing under israeli immigration law or in the law of return that allows immigration for those who are not jewish the knesset israel's parliament the country's legislative body has not enacted any law that allows foreign citizens who are neither Jewish nor related to a Jewish person to obtain permanent legal status in Israel. 
with the exception of those who have a relationship with a resident or citizen of Israel. So, you, uh, if you are, say, married to a Jew, you could move to Israel if your spouse wanted to. I think that's, that's the case. I'm not sure quite how it would work. Um, so, for example, my uh, a friend from college was um, married to a woman from a Jewish family. She was Christian, but her brother and the rest of the family were Orthodox Jews. And I know that her brother, for a while, did actually move to Israel and live there. But would she have been able to move to Israel and live there, even though she was uh, his sister? It just seems a little bit... I, I don't know. It, it's just a very strange setting and system, isn't it? You know, Are the Jews defined religiously or ethnically? And in which case, what, what, you know, Israel just seems to, to want to have their cake and eat it when it comes to this definition. So to keep it pure religiously, but but actually exclude people who've converted to other religions. Um, but you can be an atheist Jew and that's fine, a secular Jew and that's fine. Very, very strange kind of setup. So let's move now to think about the Bible and think about uh, what the will of God is for Israel. Because if you look at the the reasons why people believe that the the, you know Israel, the nation of Israel should exist, that the Jews have a right to that land. One of the big foundational pillars of that is that the land was given to them by God. And as we've already seen, you know, it doesn't matter. You can move to the land even if you don't believe in God. So I think there you are undermining your own position, really. If you believe that the land was given by God, but, you know, you don't believe in God, that's quite strange to, to begin with but if you do believe that the land was given by God then let's think about what God said about that land and the thing that we come to pretty early on is that the promise of the land was always conditional it was conditional upon obedience so let me quote you here from Deuteronomy 28 these are verses taken from Deuteronomy chapter 28 and this is Moses speaking Moses was speaking to the people of Israel who were about to enter the promised land and he's talking about blessings for obeying the Lord and curses for disobeying so let me read you what Moses said if you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands I give you today the Lord will establish you as his holy people as he promised you on oath. If you keep the commands of the Lord your God and walk in obedience to him. However, if you do not obey the Lord your God and do not carefully follow all his commands and decrees I am giving you today, all these curses will come on you and overtake you. The Lord will send on you curses, confusion and rebuke in everything you put your hand to until you are destroyed and come to sudden ruin because of the evil you have done in forsaking him. The Lord will plague you with diseases until he has destroyed you from the land you are entering to possess. Those are sobering words, very sobering words, but just think about this for a moment, that you know, that it does sound like a conditional promise, isn't it? A conditional promise that if you obey me, you'll stay in the land. If you disobey me, you'll be driven out and you'll be destroyed. Now, how can Christian Zionists support Israel without wanting to support their obedience to God? Without wanting them to obey, you know, the, the first greatest commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart soul mind and strength now how can you do that if you're a secular Jew if you don't even believe in God and how can you want you know obey God without believing in the Messiah that is in Jesus Christ you know it, it just seems baffling to me that people think that that there are some Christians who think that you know that the return of the Jews to Israel is some part of fulfilling biblical prophecy when actually it, it seems to have little to do with with biblical you know with actually 
you know, obeying and trusting God, and more to just do with political machinations in the Middle East, which are convenient, perhaps, for Westerners. Um, it, it's just such a weird state of affairs. And let's think about whether the modern state of Israel does fulfil biblical prophecy. And if you're seeing on, on YouTube, I put a picture there. Uh, that picture is supposed to be Abraham. Um, I mean, you could be forgiven for thinking. Uh, you, it just looks like someone Middle Eastern, you know, with a, a sort of a, what do you call it, the, the robe, uh, uh, you know, what, their, their, their cloaks that they're wearing. Anyway, it's, it's a Middle Eastern chap with a big white beard. And, and that's meant to be Abraham. Um, but Abraham, of course, known as the father of, you know, the Jews. You think about Genesis chapter 12 and the promise to Abraham, as I mentioned earlier, that's what Christian Zionists would look to, saying those who, you know, anyone who blesses you, I will bless. Those who curse you, I will curse. And saying, well, therefore, we as Western nations should bless Israel and therefore God will bless us. But is that right? Is that a right understanding of the Bible. Just on um, my other channel, you may know and understand the Bible, I've been uh, preaching through the book of Romans. And a few weeks ago, we looked at Romans chapter 4, which is all about Abraham. And I'll just quote you a couple of verses from Romans chapter 4. And he is then also the father of the circumcised, who not only are circumcised, but who also follow in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. He is the father of us all. So what Paul says here, and the argument that he's making in the chapter, is that Abraham is the father of all those who have faith, whether they are Jewish or Gentile. So in other words, if you're a Christian, if you believe and trust in the Lord Jesus, you're a child of Abraham. That comes across very strongly in, in Romans. Now, that's something that would have been shocking for the Jews of the day. And I think probably a lot of, a lot of Jews will find that quite shocking today as well. That, you know, the idea that Gentiles could be children of Abraham as well. And yet, I believe that's the exact argument that Paul is making. So that makes a big difference, doesn't it, to what to how we understand Genesis 12, those who bless you, I will bless. Uh, you think about it, you think, well, if that refers actually to all Christians, whether Jew or Gentile now, then that doesn't really say anything about whether we should support the nation, the modern nation state of Israel, does it? Um, and let me just quote you one more verse here. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the Amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Something which really strikes me about the whole Christian Zionist movement is the way that it almost undermines Jesus. You know, that Jesus is sort of like an afterthought, really. That, 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 that what really matters to God is the Jewish nation and the Jewish state. And Jesus is just kind of like a yeah, Jesus is great, but, you know, what really matters is, is some political means of getting the Jews back into their homeland. And that, I think, undermines, actually, the work of Jesus Christ. And this is why I said um, a few minutes ago that I think Christian Zionism kind of, um, to, to my mind, is is not the Christianity that I recognise. Because I think Jesus is... And has to be everything. And, you know, to, to say, yeah, it's Jesus, but Jesus plus, you know, this creating the nation state of Israel is weird. And think about rebuilding the temple. You know, well, Christ himself is our temple. That, as it says, every promise of God, every, you know, every promise of God is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Not any other way. Not in rebuilding a state. Not in, you know... Uh, governments, not in wars, not in those things, but, but fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And I think that, you know, the Christian Zionist movement makes too little, actually, of Jesus Christ. And for that reason, I think we, we should reject it.
So I know that I've I've gone on. A, 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 this is perhaps you know talking. It's quite hard to talk about these things because you know I am very aware that you know this is a very charged uh, political topic, and it's quite hard to talk about it in a sensible way without being accused of something you know like siding with terrorists or anti-semitism or or anything like that but i think this is a conversation that we have to have it's an important conversation but what i'd like to do just as coming to the end of this particular section is just think about are there any lessons for for the west here because i i think there there are some lessons the first thing is that you can't rightly bring about god's will by force so war and violence and invasion etc or i would also include in that legislation such as you know as is attempted to in socialism now the government and you know political will is not the way to bring about god's will that you know god's kingdom advances differently to the way that to the way that our governments work that a government is you know a government in in this world is there to maintain law and order is there to punish the wrongdoer is there to promote you know the right worship of god you know that's what governments should be doing they are not there to bring about biblical prophecy and it's i suppose it, it just seems to me that western the western world the uk and the america in particular have just been acting you know taking it upon themselves to think that they are god when it comes to creating the state of Israel. Oh, if we do this, then Jesus will return. And you know, I just feel like they're putting themselves in the position of God. That's that's what's happening. And we need to to take a, a step back and say, you know, we are not God. We are not gods. You know, we serve God. We are not gods ourselves. And you know, our power is limited. Uh, the second thing is it's not the job of one country to get involved in the internal affairs of another. This is a, a position that I've been coming to for a long time, but whenever I hear about you know, how we in the West need to get involved in, say, the Ukraine or, say, you know, Israel or, or other places, I just think, why are we doing that? You know, why are we getting involved? Is there is there a good reason because you know human rights abuses are happening all over the place but that doesn't mean that we send armies all over the place it doesn't mean that you know we we need to 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 be the world's policemen um and I, i'm just more and more thinking that you know we in in the west should just you know not it's not that we shouldn't have any interest in what happens over our borders but we should focus on doing what is right within our own borders, within our own country, and and you know using our influence where we can in a right way, in other places. But you know military force, I think war is justified. Not, I, I don't think war is justified just to go because you know there's human rights abuses happening. You can't just go over and say no, you're doing the wrong thing. I'm going to shoot you. You know it just seems the the wrong thing. And it always seems to coincide with Western interest, doesn't it? You know, to do with oil or or what have you. Um, you think, how does it look to the rest of the world when the West just throws its weight around, but not because of what's pretending it's human rights, but actually it's just defending its own interests? Uh, how does that look? Is is that really a Christian way of behaving? I ask. Um, and the third thing is, we should be able to answer the question: What does it mean to be British? And this is something I kind of was was getting at really when when it comes to the who is a Jew. Um, it seems to be, you know, this kind of funny mix of, um, you know, dissent but also faith, but also you don't have to actually believe. And I think that that's a, you know, it's a very strange thing that the nation state of Israel in that it's it's a very odd way of looking at things. And I wonder whether a better way of doing things might be to say, look, you know, as as British people, you know, you, it's not about being white, black or you know, your ethnic uh, origins. It's about saying, look, this nation has a basis and it has its basis in Christianity. 
you don't have to be Christian, but you have to be on board with that, on board with the aims and the values from the Christian faith. That is how we roll. You know, that's how we do things as a nation. And, you know, if you're not on board with that, you can leave. And, you know, that that seems to me a, 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 a at least a way of cutting through all of this, saying that, yes, we will, you know, we are basically a Christian nation. And you know, even if you're not practicing, you need to be on board and not, you know, stand against that. As unfortunately, quite a lot of our politicians seem to be doing. Um, not to mention, of course, people calling for jihad and, and what have you in the streets of London. You know that song by the Smiths, Panic on the Streets of London? I was just thinking, you know, that um, jihad on the streets of London would also go to that. I've been th- I've been hearing that in my mind, you know, jihad on the streets of London. I'm not going to sing it for you, but um, there we go. Uh, right. Last, last thing for this about the future of the Middle East. It just it just occurred to me whether what we are looking at is the end of the nation state of Israel. I just wonder whether that's what we are looking at. And maybe there will be a, a one state solution or, or something. I'm not sure. But I wonder if that's what we're looking at. It's hard to tell, of course. I mean, who knows what's going to happen in that very, you know, difficult part of the world. But looking at the history of it, I just can't help but feel that it is, you know, the Western world throwing its weight around and, you know, pursuing what what seems to be some kind of pursuing its own interests and a kind of vanity project, if you like, but not actually building something right and good. And... I just wonder if it's if if it's time for it to end. And I'm not saying that I, I want that to happen or that we should do anything to you know, I just think perhaps that's what God's will is. I don't know. Um in a sense I almost kind of want it to happen because just to you know, to, to, to prove the Christian Zionists wrong. Um but you know that I don't think that's necessarily a good reason to want anything to happen, just to prove people wrong. Um, but if that is the case about about Israel, then what does that say about the Western world? And I just wonder if if the Western world is standing at a precipice, and you know what's happening. Like I said, what's happening in Israel is sort of like a microcosm, or what's happening in the Middle East is a microcosm of what's happening in the Western world. And we need to say that we need to stand on Christian values. You know, we need to. We need to actually return to where we came from originally. We need to return to Christian values. We need to be confident in that. And if we don't, we are going to go the same way. We are going to be destroyed. And I think that is where we are. We are heading one of those two destinations. So I started out this this podcast, this section, by asking that question. It's the end of the West as we know it. Well, I think it might be the end of the West as we know it. And it's a, I suppose it's that thing, isn't it, as we know it. You know, it, it might be the end of the Western world, but it's certainly the end of the Western world as we know it. And we can either return to the Christian values and move forward building on those foundations, or we can be destroyed. And I think, really, it is the choice between one of those two things at this point. So that's, uh, that's the end of, of, of that section. Do let me know what you think uh, do leave me a comment or, or you can telegram me or you can email me through sacredmusingspod at gmail.com i appreciate that these are um, difficult things to talk about and there's i'm sure there's a lot which i i could have said and should have said which i didn't say and i'm sorry if anything that i've i've said has come across in a wrong way um you know i'm just trying to think through a difficult situation here as we all are and you know as you know with me i i'm you know just because something is a difficult and a hot potato subject doesn't mean that I think it shouldn't be tackled. I think we should be free to tackle hot potato issues like that, even if they are deeply personal to people. So there we go. Um, I just wanted to finish with a reading now from the Bible, and this is Psalm 96. I just happened to read this psalm this morning, but uh, I think it's a it's a lovely psalm. It's a, a good good thing to be to be finishing with i'll just have a just a short um, thought about this after i read it sing to the lord a new song 
Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, praise his name, proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvellous deeds among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendour and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord all you families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due to his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendour of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established, it cannot be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens rejoice, let the earth be glad, let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Let all creation rejoice before the Lord, for he comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Now, I think this is a it's a lovely psalm about singing praise to the Lord, but something which struck, strikes me about the psalms, and, and this is something which I think we as Christians don't often think in, in this way, is giving praise to God for he comes as judge. And, you know, do we often praise God for coming as judge? And I feel like, you know, we, we, we don't actually praise God for for his judgments and this is why the the psalms are so helpful and important for us because they show that we should you know we should praise god and we should you know give god the glory for uh for 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 his justice and you know when you look around at the world today you know there's so much injustice isn't there there's so much injustice and we see that i i think that's what I suppose I think that's what brought a lot of people to understand what's been going on. The way that it, it all seems so ridiculously unfair. The the World Economic Forum, the World Health Organization, the, the imposition of their will upon people, regardless of whether they want it or not. The authoritarianism. It's so unjust, unjust and, and unfair. And the way that you know the climate climate change narrative is being used, as we saw in that Forbes article, to oppress the poor uh, it's so unjust isn't it and this is the thing that god does come god is a judge he will come and he does come to judge the earth and that's good news that you know at the end of the day you and i are we're not capable of sorting the mess out we're not capable of judging things rightly not tr- no, not completely but god is and he he will come as judge and everything will be sorted out and I wonder if we are witnessing a time when things are going to be sorted out. You know, I, I know that you know there is, there is a day of judgment for everyone, um, which is coming, but that I think that you know there are times when we see things happening in history where there is judgment as well. And I wonder if we are you know about to witness one of those times when God kind of steps in, and you know there is a judgment kind of in a smaller scale. Um. So that's that's my thought, really. Just, you know, trusting God, praise him, remember and give thanks that he is the judge and that, you know, at the end of the day, the world is not going to end without his say so. And that he will bring to judgment those who are doing what is wrong. And that's why we must we must seek the Lord, take refuge in, in Jesus Christ. Um, and uh, yeah, that's that's good news for us. So let's take a moment to pray as we close and ask for God's help in just thinking through all of these difficult things that we've been thinking about. And so, Heavenly Father, we know that we've been, these are difficult times that we live in. There's so much going on in the world. There's so much to, uh, to, to worry about, so much to be anxious about, it seems. We pray that you would give us trust for our fear. We pray that you would help us to remember that you are the judge. And we pray that in these difficult and complex issues around things like the the nation state of Israel, um, that you would give us clarity, uh, help us to understand the Bible rightly, enable us to be 
compassionate and also wise and that we pray that you would help us to trust that you have these things in hand and that you will lead us and guide us we do ask and long for that our our western world that our civilization that was built on the values of christianity would return to you and many people would seek you and your will again from the politicians through to just ordinary people pray we pray for people in our towns and, and villages uh, and cities as well as those in in westminster and those who are making decisions so we ask all of these things trusting in jesus name amen thanks so much everyone for joining me today um, don't forget what I said about the, the YouTube thing. If you can share it, that'd be great. Uh, if you can uh, subscribe on Telegram or on the mailing list, that might help as well. Um, but apart from that, hopefully I'll see you again soon. In the meantime, God bless.